Hello and welcome to Frank Friar Fridays. This is Father Patrick Baikowskis broadcasting from St. Dominic Priory in St. Louis, Missouri. And today we're going to begin with a prayer and a poem, really. A uh, author I don't know, uh, unknown to us, I guess. And it's a prayer as well. There are times when only a mother's love can understand our tears, can soothe our disappointments and calm all of our fears. There are times when only a mother's love can share the joy we feel when something we've dreamed about quite suddenly is real. There are times when only a mother's faith can help us on life's way and inspire in us the confidence we need from day to day. For a mother's heart and a mother's faith and a mother's steadfast love were fashioned by the angels and sent from God above. That goes out to all the mothers that are still with us and those that are with the angels in heaven as we remember them in a special way this, this weekend. Well, this is part two of what I'm calling my most memorable moments at St. Tom's. Uh, some, I, I think they're all good. I was, th- I was thinking maybe some of them were, well, the, so let's just say some are challenging. Um, they're all good memories in their own way. I, of course, uh, and again, these are not in any kind of uh, chronological order. I, I uh, did more of a stream of consciousness. Things popped up in my memory. And so it seems more logical that I should have started with things like my ordination, my installation as pastor, extraordinarily memorable occasions separated by about a year and a half, but still how very blessed I was to have been ordained at the Cathedral of of the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana, something that's not uh, typical for us. We're usually ordained here in St. Louis. And there were special circumstances that that created that uh, occasion, much of which had to do around um, the extraordinary kindness and generosity of Bishop Higgies, uh, kind of a shout out again to him. And then to be able to celebrate it with the people of St. Tom's, which of course, again, is unusual. Usually it's here in St. Louis and we will we'll have a nice uh, ordination, of course, a beautiful ordination here. We've got one coming up in a couple weeks. And then we come back here to where I live for a, a celebration. But this was, was very different because we were basically c- celebrating with, I was celebrating with the people that I had been called to serve. And what a, what an extraordinary uh, celebration that was to come back to St. Tom's and then have my Mass of Thanksgiving the next day, another celebration. And then the 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 celebration of my my installation as pastor bishop higgy coming back generously to 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 do that typically it's it's not a big deal and it's done by the what we call the dean of the deanery but bishop higgy not not only did he do it once he did it twice he he did it for once at the 11 a.m mass and once again for the 
sort of focusing on the students at the at the uh, 7 p.m. mass. So great moments in my life with uh, the people at St. Tom's. Another struck me as well because it's Candy Silver's birthday on Monday, and you know, lots of memorable times with her. But you know, I think the the most special times I've had have often centered around uh, food. <laughs> I don't know what that says. Although it says we're following Jesus, I'm having a, cu- a sip of tea. If you'll excuse me, just a second as I sip away. I um, had so many memorable lunches, and as as pleasurable as they all were, there was there was work that we did as well. But it was uh, something I, I I tell you I, I I look back on it and I miss very much. And that's one of the things when I was thinking about our pilgrimages, and I've talked about our pilgrimages. Uh, on a previous episode, but all those uh, occasions that we had that were visiting these holy sites and things that I will never forget, some of the most wonderful memories that I have are sharing meals with those people who became friends and family in Florence or in Rome or in Assisi or in Naples or in my home, my family's hometown in San Benedetto del Tronto. All these, now they start flooding back to me, all of these wonderful meals that we had in Orvieto at that very special place with the subterranean tunnels underneath the restaurant and those last, those last meals that we had in Rome at that really fun place uh, near the Colosseum great memories to share the um, other th- one of the other things I remembered was the first time that we had a Wednesday night mass and I don't know again I don't, I don't remember how these things it, it might it might have been students I, maybe it was it was the graduate students I think now that I think about it that that gave me the that idea about having a Wednesday night mass because they weren't able to come. Yes, now I, the more I think about it, that's exactly how it got started. They weren't able to come to daily masses in the in, during the middle of the day, and we were. I don't know. Think we were maybe doing 5:30 masses yet, and they, because of their schedule, couldn't come to 11:30. So they th- said, let's try nine, and. Um, uh, the only people there were Emanuela O'Hara and I think Alfredo Tuesta and myself. <laughs> like, well, this is a great idea, isn't it? <laughs> Three of us. I used to say it was the four of us, and then Emanuela, I didn't know who the fourth was. Emanuela told me, no, the father was just three of us. But guess what? It it grew and grew and grew. And I'm, I'm, I know they're still doing it, and I'm sure it's been affected by, by COVID, but Boy, those were, and they were, they turned into such special evenings as well. And we would generally have ice cream afterwards. And uh, I want to extend the evening. We didn't want it to end. One of the things that um, I remember about a trip that we had is a, uh, one of the occasions in Haiti. Now, I've mentioned that I was actually in Haiti when I was 
officially became pastor on January the 1st, 2010. Uh, but also on that trip, we um, had this uh, occasion. Now, this is one of those, <laughs> actually, when, when it was happening, you know, you know, you have those occasions when you're, something's happening and you just think it's horrible that in, with the passage of time, it can become, it certainly <laughs> becomes less horrible. I don't know if it ever becomes necessarily pleasant. But so the, the night before, I have people do this passport check make sure that everybody has their passport. And on this one particular occasion, not one, but two of the students could not find their passports. And I'm a little bit more than exasperated. And this is the night before we're leaving. And it was an unusual circumstance. John Smith, one of our wonderful parishioners who just had a birthday recently, had given me money to rent a car, and it was a you know four wheel vehicle, um, just to see how it was in, instead of depending on the uh, the, the so called public transportation that we use to uh, rent a vehicle, and and w if the process was difficult and and so on. So I had a vehicle. I had a some sort of a Jeep, I think it was, or no, it was those four wheel Toyota vehicles that they have. And so the two students and I and one of the translators, we left before the rest of the group because we were departing that day. And we were departing at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We leave very early in the morning to drive down to the embassy. And I've got it in my mind that we're going to get these passports. And so we arrive at the, at the embassy just before noon, around maybe 1130. And there's this huge line of people waiting for visas. And so I pulled the, you know, the American privileged card, I guess you'd say, but I was so desperate to get this done. So there, I, it looked like there was a separate line anyway, maybe for American citizens. So I go sort of a skirt around the line, go inside, and there's a guard there, armed Marine, and told them what we needed and uh, wanted to see a, a, a counselor, a desk officer. And... He said, oh, you'd have to call up. And so they, I couldn't even talk to a person in the, in the flesh. And so called up and got this really snooty uh, woman. And uh, I'm explaining to her the situation. And uh, she's um, sort of very abrupt. And she's like... Oh, you can't. What do you think? What do you think this is? You can't get anything that done that quickly. Well, on my way up there, um, on the on the on the on the on my way up there, on the drive down, um, I um, was making phone calls, and I uh, was calling everybody. Um, that I could think of that could might be able to help us uh, get through this whole process. And so I'm, you know, I, I, I remember calling um, um, uh, Ron Campbell, because, you know, he's a politician, and, and I'm pulling all the political cards. And 
So I, even though he's a Democrat, I think he was the one to suggest I call Ron Luger or Dick Luger. And so I, I said, oh, that's a great idea. So I call his office in Washington, and I explain the situation to this wonderful young woman. I don't remember her name. And um, she says, okay, we're going to get on this right away. And so then as I'm talking to this person um, on the phone, I said, well, have you heard anything from Senator Luger's office? And she then she pauses and said, Senator Luger's office? What does Senator Luger have to do with this? Now, Senator Luger, maybe if you remember at the time, was in the Senate, of course, and he was the ranking member on the Foreign Relations Committee on the Senate side. So he had some <laughs> sway with the State Department. And so I told her, I said, well, I've been talking to his office. They said they were going to send a, a, a fax or, or a, something like that. And so she says, wait a minute. And after having given me the runaround for you know maybe five or ten minutes, she comes back on the phone and says, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> All right, great. And then she says, but you have to take new photos. There's no getting around this. You have to take photos. I'm like, well, where are we going to get photos? She says, well, just go outside the embassy, and you'll see a whole slew of people that are standing around waiting to take pictures for people's visas. Well, sure enough, I didn't notice them when we went out, or I mean, when, when we went in. And so there they are. There's, and so I just grabbed one. I said, do you take, uh, and he had a camera around his neck. He says, yes. And I had the translator with us, too, although this young, this young man spoke English. So he says, okay, just follow me. And then we're, we're starting to walk and walk. And he says, wait, where are we going? I thought we were just going to, he says, oh, no, you, you've got to take this in a studio. I says, oh, for crying out loud. I says, I don't want a studio picture. He says, no, 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 it's really close. So I said something to the translator. He says, it better be close. Well, it was. It was maybe, you know, almost could have walked. It was, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile away. So we go into this studio, and he starts taking pictures, and then he takes pictures of one of the students. I'm not going to mention their names to protect the the, 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 the knuckleheads. <laughs> um so he takes his picture, and then he starts ripping it up. I said, what are you doing? He says, oh, it wasn't very good. I said, oh, this is not prom pictures. He said, <laughs> so he takes some more pictures. I said, so, so then we get back, and it's, then it's after 12 o'clock noon, and there's nobody in line. It's closed up for lunch. And I said, oh, no. And so we go to the door, and there's the guard is there again. He says, go right upstairs. We go upstairs. There's nobody there except one person clearly waiting for us to come in. We get the passports in 10 minutes. The whole process took about two hours, and we were able to get on the plane with everybody else. And uh, everything, everything was, uh, you know, see, now I laugh at, at it all, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't funny the day it was happening. But thanks be to God that, God was with us and watching over us. Our guardian angels were taking care of us. And speaking about guardian angels taking care of us, I'm going to jump ahead now, you know, to towards my end of the time, end time there at uh, Purdue. And I was uh, very honored to get this special Boilermaker Award uh, thanks to the efforts of a lot of people at St. Tom's and I'm sure Mike Piggott um, played a very significant role and it's it's goes to people who didn't go to Purdue and played a special role and 
the life of our students, and I was very honored to get it. And I was going to be receiving it at the uh, during halftime at the Ohio State game. And Daniel Romery, who is a, a student trustee and a very faithful member of St. Tom's, and I'm still in contact with him. He's in medical school now at Indiana in Indianapolis. Uh, he invited me to watch the game in the trustees box. So the whole combination of things, you know, this is so exciting. And we're playing Ohio State on top of it, which is the frosting on the cake. So it was a cold night and I was I was running a little bit late and I didn't want to keep Daniel waiting. And so I'm walking really fast and it's cold and I start feeling a sort of a tightness in my chest and I um I didn't worry about it, and I just thought it was, you know, it was just the combination of the cold, and and uh, so I I uh, meet Daniel outside the stadium. We go in. And as soon as I sit down, I'm perfectly fine. And then of course we we have a, one of the most exciting football games I've ever seen. Um, we have the ceremony at, at halftime. Uh, we rush the field. That's the first time I'd ever done anything like that. It was very exciting. So then I go, I, I go home and I'm feeling again a little bit of this tightness in my chest. But again, I'm thinking it's the cold. Well, that sort of goes on for a week. And then one, a week and a day after that football game, I'm coming out of the, the co-rack and uh, I, it, it's feeling more tight, I guess I'd say. I wouldn't say it hurt, you know, as much as just this sort of tightness. And then I feel it radiating now, I only use that term because I've heard it on, <laughs> on TV or something, radiating down my left arm, and then I freak out. And then I call my doctor, and I'm telling, asking him, you know, can I come into the office? He says, come into the office. You need to go to the, the hospital. I says, oh, clearly that's not necessary. Let's not make a big deal out of it. He says, no, you need to go to the hospital. Well, then after I've told this story, people said, well, why didn't you call an ambulance? I said, it never crossed my mind to call an ambulance. I drove myself there and walked in. And then it set in motion. Oh my goodness! They, I, I, I was in one, an examining room. I, I, I am, I'm not exaggerating. I think in about 15 seconds, and they had all, I had all these wires on me, and I had had this episode, and I had to have a stent put in, and certainly that's something I'm not going to forget. Um, and uh, the other thing I'm going to, I guess I'm going to close with for these memorable moments is uh, towards the, um, let's see, this would have been four years ago, I guess, uh, so three years before I left, something like that. My mother um, was going through a, a difficult time. I was her, her guardian, uh, and I was not satisfied with the care she was, or the, her lack of care, I should say, not the care that I wasn't satisfied with her care. I don't think she was getting the care that I thought she needed. She was in her home, and my brother was, I think, less than attentive. And I would go and have lunch with her, and she wouldn't really be dressed properly. Nothing like what my mother would have been like if she had her, her all of her faculties. And, and so I, I got frustrated by the way I was finding her and um, she was she was beginning dementia and thanks be to God you know when you think about her long life she lived to be 94 
uh, this was towards the very, what ended up being the very end of her life, that she started to exhibit this loss of memory. And then she would get frustrated and angry about it, I think, which is not unusual. And so I I decided I was going to bring her home to, to West Lafayette. And when I... Uh, you know, I, w- the way we have our, our lives structured, I, I, you know, even though I'm the pastor and the and you know the sort of head of the of the the, the, the um, ministry of at, at St. Tom's, I'm not the head of our house. As a Dominican, we have houses and priories. I live in a priory now, but we our house has a superior, and I was not the superior, and so I had to ask permission for things like that. And Timothy. Father Timothy was the superior at the time, and I did. It, it happened so quickly. I was had visited my mother. We had, I had taken her to the doctor for a checkup, and and uh, I decided really on the spur of the moment um, to just bring her home. And so I didn't really get a chance to call, and so I did. And I didn't know how long she'd she'd stay, and so I. Um, talked to Timothy, and he said, um, I asked him for permission, and he sort of looked at me in a stunned way, and he said, Patrick, your mother is our mother. And uh, I was so moved by that statement. And I, 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 I get a little bit emotional recounting this story. And not only did it feel like my brother's response to her as was like a mother for all of us I felt like that uh, from the whole, all of the people at St. Tom's how how much they you the, those that are listening how much you cared for her and how joy filled you made her last days the way that you reached out to her when she would come to mass uh, made her feel like a queen and it was um, very touching to see that response and certainly not surprising in many ways and there was people with her all the time if I had to be at the, at St. Tom's there was somebody from St. Tom's that would come over and stay with her sometimes they would bring her children which is a, which is a special delight for my mom and all moms and I think maybe that's a good place to end as we come to the conclusion of these memorable moments uh, I think I have one more episode that will be in this sort of autobiographical format, and then we're going to change to start doing some interviews, and I'll tell you more about that next week. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.